Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Well, today we're continuing the series that we began last week called Fixer Upper. Um, And if you were here last week, uh, I delivered the bad news that unfortunately, as a part of this series, we are not distributing Home Depot and Lowe's and Target gift cards at the door for all of us to remodel our kitchen or living room, right? And for some of you, maybe that comes as a great disappointment. For others of you, you've actually survived a remodel or a restoration of your house or part of your house, and you're going like, good, because I don't want any bit of that. Like, I've lived through that before. I don't want to ever do it again. No, but this series really as a whole is not so much a home or a house remodel or restoration, but the goal and the hope of our series is that we would begin to remodel and restore the relationships in our life. All of us have relationships in our life. And God, as we look at the very beginning of scripture in Genesis, God creates Adam in the Garden of Eden. And then what does he do? He looks at Adam and he says, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. And so he creates for Adam a helper in the form of Eve. God knew that Adam needed relationship. And guess what he knows about you? You need relationships. All of us have and need the relationships in our life. Yet, what we began to uncover last week is that for many of us, the greatest source of tension in our life hovers around our relationships. It has to do with our relationships. You, you begin to think, like, if I could just figure out how to get along with my spouse or whoever I'm dating, or if I could figure out how to manage my kids or resolve that drama at work, like, if I could just figure out how to get along in these relationships, then life would be so much better. And perhaps many of you right now have real anger or frustration or hurt because of a relationships or some relationships in your life. So what we're kind of doing over these few weeks together is looking at God's word, because we always go there, to kind of discover or maybe for some of you rediscover God's design for those relationships in your life. So if you have a copy of scripture, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 12. We're actually going to be the same, we're going to be in the same place we were last week. Kind of pick up there in just a minute. Romans chapter 12, if you have a hard or digital copy. Just love for you to have that there in your lap, and we'll put the scripture on the screen for you to follow along uh, with us today. It'll be be about 10 minutes before we actually dive into that, but I'm giving you a head start um, on Romans 12. Now, throughout this series, what we're doing is rather than looking at a specific relationship in our life, we're kind of addressing all of our relationships, and we're looking at the healthy characteristics that we all must have if we want to have relationships done God's way. So if you were here with us last week, we laid the foundation with the characteristic of love, that every relationship must have some degree of love. If you missed it, you can hop on our website and check out the podcast or the video to kind of catch back up. But today we're going to look at a second, I think, essential characteristic to have Having healthy relationships, and that is unity. Unity. I think all of us could agree if we're going to have a good relationship, whether it be marriage or family or a coworker or you know classmate or a business partner, that we need to have unity in our relationships. And last week, if you were here, we kind of began to paint the picture in this idea of remodel and restoration of the before picture and the after picture. We've all, all seen a before picture of a house, and then like you get a hold of it, and then there's the whole remodel, and you get the after picture, and like, oh, like so much better here. And so as we look at those two sides of the coin today, I want us to realize this, the before picture is going to represent our relationships when we do them our way. All right. And maybe for some of you, you're going to go like, that's my relationship right now. And maybe you're under the influence of the culture or the world or your past or your two personalities. And it's just trying to figure it out. 
And so that's going to be the before picture. We'll walk through that. But then on the other hand, I want us to see the after picture. The after picture today is going to be defined by God's word, by by the truth that he presents as the one who creates our relationships, as the one who sustains our relationships, and the one who ultimately helps us restore or rebuild maybe the broken relationships in our life. Now, before we kind of dive in today, I want to just kind of make a statement from the out front to say that I realize that there are people here today, people in the room with real wounds and hurts and scars and disappointments in your life because some relationships in your life went wrong. They went bad and someone let you down. And so what I want you to know today is is that we kind of walk through God's word. I never want to downplay the hurt or the pain that you may have experienced in your relationship. All right. But here's what I do believe. I believe that we serve and we worship a God who is all sufficient and he is capable to heal and restore even the darkest, most broken places in our life. And he is victorious even over the brokenness in our relationships. If we'll choose to allow ourselves to do life and do relationships under his design. All right. And so I want us to begin to kind of paint this before picture um, for our relationships. We're going to define that by three characteristics. And the first characteristic of a relationship that is outside of God's design, we're going to categorize with the word revenge. Revenge. Now, Webster's Dictionary defines the word revenge as the act of inflicting harm on someone for a wrong suffered at their hands. So revenge is this mindset that because you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Now, I don't have to poll you guys today to realize that all of us have been a part of some relationship on some level. And as a result of that, you have experienced what it means to be betrayed, to be let down, to be frustrated, right, to be disappointed. And all of us were faced with the choice of what will we do with that? Because we were hurt in this way, will we hurt back? Will we choose revenge or will we go a different direction? Uh, The great thinker Confucius once said about revenge, before you embark on the journey of revenge, first dig two graves. Before you embark on a journey of revenge, first dig two graves. See, what Confucius understood and what I hope that we all begin to understand today is that while revenge seems like the appropriate response in our flesh when we are hurt, what we're really beginning to understand is that Revenge is not only detrimental to the one we seek revenge on, but ultimately revenge becomes very detrimental to us as well. In the game of revenge, there is no winner. And scripture makes it clear that revenge is not the healthy, obedient response. Here's three verses from scripture that lay this out. Leviticus 19, 18 says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 5, 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. 1 Peter 3, 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Scripture says revenge is never the winning answer in our relationships. Maybe for some of you in the room today, that comes across as a very convicting truth because maybe you've had a relationship where there is wrongdoing and maybe it came against you and you've sought revenge. Or maybe you sit here today and you go, you know what? I believe in this particular situation with this relationship Revenge is really the only answer. It's only what's going to help me feel fulfilled. And while in our flesh it seems like the most appropriate response, we must understand that God's design for relationships never includes revenge. And I know what some of you may be thinking in that moment. You're going like, how will they ever know that they're wrong? Like, I want to know they're wrong. And I hear that. And we're going to get there today. All right. But first we must all digest the truth that the before picture 
includes revenge, but God's design for relationships never includes that. Now, I want us to see a second characteristic of this kind of before picture of relationships not under God's design, and that's going to be quantified by what the word turmoil. Turmoil. Now, Webster's Dictionary defines turmoil as a state of great disturbance, confusion, or uncertainty. And for some of you, if you got really honest today, you would go, that kind of defines my marriage, or that defines my relationship with my parents, or my kids, or at work, or a classmate, or a friendship, that it would be defined by turmoil. And the reality is for some of you, you have been in turmoil so long, there's been so much tension in turmoil that you've almost grown comfortable in the turmoil. And maybe you've been in it so long that you've begun to believe that like, this is, this is really the only way that it's ever going to exist. Like this is how it's always going to be. And maybe the turmoil has become so real that you go, you know what? I, I don't believe that there is hope of peace in my relationship. See, scripture is very clear that there's a real enemy that we fight. And the enemy, one of his greatest strategies is he loves to use confusion and turmoil in our lives. And I talk with far too many couples whose relationship is overrun with turmoil. There's lack of communication. There's lack of trust. There's lack of ownership for responsibility where maybe they have fallen short. And guess what it all sets up for? A a recipe of turmoil. There's no affection or or compassion expressed. There always seems to be fighting and miscommunication. But it's not just in the context of marriage. The same can be true for parent-child relationships, for work relationships, for friend relationships. The reality is that people fail to meet expectations. People make hurtful decisions. People don't fulfill their role, and it causes turmoil, which leads to anger, and anger, which leads to frustration. And for so many people, the turmoil leads them to isolation, apart from the very relationships that God has designed and created them for. And for many of you, maybe you're already beginning to identify a relationship or relationships in your life that are defined by revenge or turmoil. Or maybe if it's not one of those two, then the third part of this before picture of relationships outside of God's design is bitterness. Bitterness. Now, again, I don't have to poll you guys to find out how many of you have ever been in any type of a relationship before because you are right now. And as a result of that, you went through betrayal or disappointment or frustration And just like in the area one of the before picture, we all had to make a choice on what to do with those feelings. Maybe right now you're having to make a choice on what to do with those feelings. And maybe for you, those feelings haven't moved to the point of physical revenge, but maybe they're still churning inside of you and creating feelings of bitterness. Maybe it's something between you and your spouse that happened as recently as this week. And maybe it's something between you and a parent or you and a child from a year or two back. Or maybe it's a bad experience that you've been carrying for years from a friendship or a work experience or a church experience. And for you, it just seems like the situation is unforgivable. Like the pain is too deep, the hurt is too real for you to really seek reconciliation. So instead of seeking peace and unity, maybe for days or weeks or months or perhaps even years, you've allowed those feelings of bitterness and anger and frustration to grow inside of you. But again, Scripture gives some very clear thoughts towards this power of bitterness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, Paul says this. He says, get rid of all bitterness. Eliminate it. Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. 
Then Hebrews 12, 15, scripture says this, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Scripture says, although your bitterness may not have moved to the point of revenge, right? And you you take a deep breath and you go, I've never been there. The reality is bitterness becomes a very real thing. And it moves inside of you. And maybe like you, you've seen people like I have who've allowed bitterness to literally change who they are as a person because the feelings have grown so strong and so consistent inside of them. And perhaps for some of you right now, if you were just really gut level honest, there's a relationship in your life that's defined by that. Maybe it's something with a child or a parent or a friend or a coworker or a family member. But what I want us to all understand today in this before picture is that bitterness is never a builder. Bitterness is always a destroyer in the relationships in our life and not only for our relationships, but also for us personally. And so when when we try to do relationships, whatever that is, outside of God's design, revenge and turmoil and bitterness will run rampant. It will always define it. And maybe for some of you today, you're going like, yeah, I I know, like I'm, I'm there right now. But the good news today is, is that God's word gives us, because he's the creator and he's, he's the one who makes things whole, he gives us a design to do relationships his way that would be whole and healthy and strong. But now I have to interject here, just like I did last week as we looked at love. If you're here today and you're not allowing Jesus to restore you personally, right? meaning mom, dad, spouse, student, grandparent, single adult, like if you've not arrived at that place where you have surrendered your plans and your purposes for your life and gone, God, you're a better God than I am. And I'm going to trust my purposes and my plans to you. If you've never gotten to that place really before, I don't mean play church, but I mean walk in a relationship with the living God. If you've never gotten to that place before, then the after picture that we're about to paint is going to be really, really hard for you to obtain in your relationships. In fact, it's going to be impossible. However, I believe that there, there are some people in the room today that like you've gotten to that place where you've exchanged the old you of sin and self and trying and you've gone, Jesus, your way's better and I need you. And the beauty of that is that God, God paints a beautiful after picture that is available for us when we do relationships God's way. And so last week in Romans 12, we saw five verses that spoke towards love. And today I want us to kind of tackle a few more verses that speak into this idea of unity in your relationships. And so look with me, Romans chapter 12, let's pick up in verse 14 where we left off last week. It says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another and do not be proud. But be willing to associate with people of low position and do not be conceited. So the first characteristic of unity in a relationship that's under God's design, we're going to quantify with the word blessing. The word blessing. Now, Paul makes one of the most illogical statements in all of Scripture in verse 14. We just read it. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them. Now, let's get really, really honest up in church this morning, all right? How many of you have ever had a spouse or a child or a parent or a friend or a classmate or a coworker like just tick you off, all right? I'm t- you all have been ticked off at some point. You've been frustrated. They let you down. They disappoint you. And your first reaction was, hmm, I wonder how I might be able to bless them, all right? Don't raise your hand because you ain't been there, all right? Me either. Why? Because that's not our fleshly response when we've been done wrong, when there's turmoil, when there's conflict. 
But Paul says if we want to have healthy relationships in God's design, we must become a people of blessing. All right, so let's kind of break that down a little bit. The original Greek word here for blessing means to speak good or well of someone. So in the face of being done wrong, Paul is not saying to downplay what's happened, but he's saying to choose your words wisely. He's not saying downplay the wrong that's been done, but he's saying choose your words wisely. Because let's be real. For the majority of people, when we get hurt by someone in a relationship, what do we want? What do we want? We want somebody to listen to us, all right? So we can tell them how wrong that person was and how hurt and how negative they were, right? Do we want to listen in? We want somebody on our side. And we now live in such an age where we have the ability, if nobody's listening or if nobody's close by, or if we really want that other person to kind of know about how wrong what they've done is, what do we do? We can take it to social media and we can throw up an indirect yet very direct post right at that person to let them know what's going on. All right, don't act like I'm not talking to somebody, okay? I didn't say raise your hand. I just said, "Uh uh-huh, that's right, all right? That's what we want to know. Somebody get on my side. Somebody validate what's been done wrong to me. And the easiest fleshly response is to speak negatively to the other person. But scripture, we just read it, says become a person who speaks blessing. All right? And perhaps for some of you today, the greatest step that you can take in restoring unity in that relationship that you're thinking about right now is to stop firing off negative words about that person or about that situation but instead become a person who speaks blessing. Here's what 1 Peter 3 verse 9 says. We read the beginning a while ago, but I want us to catch the end. It says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but on the contrary, catch this, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Scripture says the longer that you choose revenge, by speaking negatively about that person or that situation, the longer you prohibit yourself from enjoying the blessing of unity and the promises that God has for you, all right? Now, some of you, I realize, you think that because I'm a pastor that my wife and I never fight, all right? Some some of you just think that, okay? And guess what? You're right. My wife and I do not fight, all right? At my house, we have moments of intense fellowship, okay? That's, That's what we do at my house, all right? Every once in a while, that happens at my house, And so what we've done to set up barriers in our relationship when there is a disagreement or when there's turmoil or conflict is that we've set up a barrier that we would not say anything in the moment of conflict that would not be productive towards unity and reconciliation. Let me help that make sense. All right. Here's what that means. Now we can speak our feelings in a normal and calm and truthful tone But here's what that means. That means that there's no room for name-calling. It's not productive towards unity. There's no room to call out past failures. There's no room to tell the other person how sorry they are in a certain area. And it's become a healthy barrier for us inside of our marriage relationship. And perhaps for some of you today, the most healthy step that you can take towards achieving unity in that relationship in your life is to begin to eliminate the unproductive words that you are using, all right? To only use things that are beneficial towards reconciliation and unity so that you can open up the pathway to become a person who speaks blessing rather than revenge and conflict. Rather than revenge and conflict. 
But again, I want you to remember this, just like we said last week. This isn't something that you can just take home this afternoon and go, we're going to try really, really hard, and we're going to turn the page, all right? we're going to write all these rules down, and we're going to get them right, okay? Don't do it. It's not going to work, all right? It'll give you maybe a good three hours, all right? And then you're going to come back. It didn't work. It didn't work. Don't do it that way. Paul said, just like we looked at last week, beginning of Romans 12, verse 2, he says, it only comes by the continual renewing and refilling of your mind through the truth of God's word and the power of God's spirit. All right? Don't try to do it by yourself. You can't. But through the power of God's spirit and the truth of God's word, we begin to lay a foundation of blessing in our relationships. Go back to verse 17. Paul says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Here's the second characteristic, a relationship inside of God's design. It's defined by the word peace. Peace. Now, there are many relationships, probably many in this room today, that are defined by turmoil. But the hope that Paul gives us today is he says that God has a design for peace. In verse 17, Paul says, don't get caught up in revenge by trying to repay evil with evil. But instead, in verse 18, what does he say? He says, pursue peace. Guess what this means? This means that for those of us who are, who are in Christ, you have been given a bold and audacious and in relationship-altering responsibility. You ready for it? Pursue peace. Pursue peace. In your marriage, pursue peace. In your, your parent-child relationships, be a peacemaker. At work, at school, on the ball field, on social media, pursue peace. Like, that, like, that's a God-given responsibility to us. God is not a God of turmoil, but he's a God of peace. Now, Paul is clear to say, if it is possible, if it is possible, this means that there are some relationships, maybe even some in your life, where peace is not possible. Peace is not possible. There's some situations where despite your loving and graceful and persistent pursuit of peace, the other party will not soften to reach out for peace with you. And that's a very difficult and hurtful place to be in. But Scripture affirms us today to say, do all that you can and then rest with personal peace that you've done everything obediently that you can do. Because Paul said it. We just read it. He says, as far as it depends on you, eliminate the other party from the equation. That's hard to do, but eliminate them out and pursue peace. As far as it depends on you, chase after peace. Do everything in your power to chase after the peace that God has created your relationship for. Romans chapter 14, verse 19, Paul says this. He says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. I like to think of it this way. If you haven't stretched yourself to the point of discomfort in your pursuit of peace, then you probably haven't done everything that you could do. I'll say that again. If you haven't stretched yourself to the point of discomfort in your pursuit of peace, then you probably haven't done everything that you can do. Because here's what I believe. Often in our pursuit of peace, we will have to initiate difficult conversations. Often in your pursuit of peace, you will have to admit your own shortcomings and weaknesses. 
Sometimes in your pursuit of peace, you have to offer love and grace to others even when you don't completely feel like it. See, a peace pursuit will cost us something. It will cost us something, but Scripture says there is great blessing for those who pursue peace. In fact, Jesus spoke directly to it. In Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says there's a blessing for the peacemakers. Matthew 5 verse 9, look at it. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Christ followers are to pursue peace as far as it depends on them. And in so doing, they demonstrate the character of God the Father, and thus they are defined as children of God. When you think about this, in every relationship conflict that ends in unity, right? In every relationship conflict that ends in unity, there is a peacemaker. In your relationship, will that be you? Will that be you? God has a design for peace and for blessing in all of our relationships. There's a, there's a third and final part of this after picture I want us to see. Verse 19 of Romans 12, it says this. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, then feed him. If he's thirsty, then give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21, don't miss this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here's the third and final characteristic of a relationship in God's design. It's forgiveness. Forgiveness. Verse 19 says, do not take revenge. The opposite of taking revenge or growing bitter is to forgive. Forgive, meaning to willingly release any feelings of anger or resentment. To willingly release feelings of anger or resentment. Perhaps the most powerful act in any human relationship. And I realize maybe what some of you are thinking at this point. No, there's no way that I'm going to let them off the hook that easy. Like they're going to pay for what they, they caused hurt and I want them to know about it. And guess what? I get you and God gets you. That's why Paul is very clear here to say, you offer forgiveness, you pursue peace, you become a person of blessing, and then you allow God to do the judging. In verse 19 that we just read, says, leave room for God's wrath. In other words, God is a just God. And God is not into leaving wrongdoings unpunished. That's not how he plays. And there will be a moment where all of humanity will stand before God as creator and as judge. But here's what we must understand. When we try to step in to try to avenge someone on our own, ultimately we're trying to put ourselves in God's role. And let's be honest, we're not really good at playing God. But Paul says in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know what that equals? Forgiveness. Forgiveness is overcoming evil with good. It's taking that wrong, that hurt, that frustration, that disappointment and letting it go. And letting it go. That's forgiveness. 
Think about it. When people do wrong, they expect to receive evil from those they've wronged. You punch me, I'm going to punch you back. That's how our culture operates. But Paul here, through the beauty of the gospel, he takes all of that and flips it on its head. And he says, what if you turned everything upside down? And what if you trusted God and you offered forgiveness and you pursued peace? And what if in the middle of that just crazy oxymoron to our society, God stepped in and he used your obedience to soften the heart of the other person? There's an old saying that says the best way to get rid of an enemy is to turn him or her into a friend. The best way to get rid of an enemy is to turn him or her into a friend. And again, I realize what some of, <clears throat> I realize what some of you are thinking. I, I don't want them to be a friend. Like, I'm okay with that not, all right? I don't want them to be pardoned. But again, can I remind you the call on us as Christ followers that's very clear from Scripture? In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus speaks these words. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. We like that. That's a good verse, Jesus. Verse 15. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. Forgiveness, as I read that, is not optional in the relationships of a Christ follower. But forgiveness must be a consistent practice to restore healthy relationships in our life. Both the act of to give and the act of to ask for. Right? At my house, relation, or excuse me, pursuing forgiveness is almost a daily practice that we have to walk through. All right? I got a couple of kids, a wife, all right? and I don't mean... When the kids mess up, they got to come to mom and daddy and go, we're really sorry. We, we messed up. We shouldn't have done that. All right. That's not what I mean. Here's what I mean. I mean, this means from mom and daddy to own up to where they fall short too. Like the moment this week where I had to look at my wife and look at my two kids and ask for forgiveness. Can I just be really straight up with you? It was very humbling to my flesh. It was very uncomfortable. I didn't want to. But at the end of the day, it was right. For some of you today, if you want to have that unity that God has created your relationships for, it means you need to look at that spouse, that child, that parent, that coworker, that friend, that family member, that member of the body of Christ, and go, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Why? Why? Because that's the call of God on your life and mine and anyone who would claim to be a follower of Jesus. Paul made it clear. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32, he says this, be kind and compassionate to one another. Here it is. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And I realize maybe for some of you, the hurt's deep, the situation's difficult, and despite all we've kind of laid out and talked about over the last little bit, you're, you're still going, <laughs> ain't no way, man. This is it. No, it's not happening. Like, you don't know my story. <laughs> Mine's different. My heart's did this way. Everybody else over here, you don't know my stuff, man. It ain't happening. A blessing, peace. <laughs> no, we ain't, we ain't tasted that in years. Like, forgiveness? Uh-uh. No. Like, it's not happening. Great message today, bud, but we're going to lunch, and it's going to be like it's been. And I realize, all right, I realize 
that the situations in your life have been real and they've been hurtful. And I, I, I don't want to for a moment downplay what you've experienced. But I want you to see for just a second, as we close, I want you to see the picture of the greatest relationship maker ever. The, great, the greatest unity creator ever. And his name is Jesus. And I want you to see what 1 Peter chapter 2 says. Verse 21, it says, To this you were called, for you and me, it's the church, because Christ suffered for you and me. In other words, we were the ones who did wrong. But check out his response. It says, leaving us, you and me, an example that we should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. He didn't seek revenge. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he trusted himself to him who judges justly. He trusted God to do his part to judge. And verse 24, he, Jesus, bore, he wore, he took on your sins and mine in his body on the cross. There's blessing. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. There's peace with us and God. And by his wounds, you have been healed. There's forgiveness. See, before any of us get to that point in that relationship or those relationships in our life where we go, (laughs) no way, man, not happening. Would you remember this? Jesus went first. Jesus went first. And through his life, he offered you and me blessing. And through his death, he offered you and me peace with God. And through his resurrection, He offered you and me freedom and full forgiveness. But you know what? It cost him all he had. And it meant he had to trust God to do his part. And he went to the ultimate extent of discomfort to pursue us. But praise God. Praise God. That it was God's perfect plan to create unity between you and me and God the Father. And now he looks at us. He says, those who've received blessing, those those who've received peace, those who have been given full forgiveness, will you now ignite and return that same unity in the relationships that I've given you? Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.